It's almost Christmas, and actually, I'm thinking about dads. I'm thinking about what it means to be a father, what it means to be the son of a father, what it means not to have a father, and what it means to be an orphan. You see, my dad died on November 24th after living a good long 97 years. He lived a productive life, traveled all over the world, lived through so many technological and scientific changes, lived through the Second World War, working on merchant ships. He lived in Panama under a military dictatorship. His first wife died of cancer after only three years of marriage, leaving him with a two-year-old daughter. He made so many sacrifices for her. Ten years later, he met my mom and was undying in her support. My mom was a ballet dancer and teacher. She was the star, and he was always in the background, taking photos. Too many photos, but always out of the spotlight. He loved plants and trees, fruit trees in particular. Three months before his death, he was still concerned about his plants. He must have planted thousands of fruit trees. We would speak once a week on the phone, and I would tell him about my tomatoes. He always wanted to know if I had any fruit trees in the yard. He also always asked about my kids. That's actually the last thing I heard him say. How are the boys? I guess, looking back, my father was a sower. He planted seeds, literal seeds, which grew to become actual plants and trees, but also other kinds of seeds. Seeds of loyalty and undying faithfulness and constancy, and seeds of family bonds. Seeds that will no doubt grow into a fruitful harvest. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro, and with me is Billy Chan. Billy, Hello, everyone. Billy, who's already... Are you an Advent kind of person or a Christmas? Are you already, like, have Christmas decorations, or are you really yes. enjoying Advent? I have a Christmas de decoration already. The stars is already really? there. I, I know, I know, you know, there is a tradition, you know, just in front of my house, opposite to my house, that there is another Catholic uh, parishioners living in front of, of, of our house. And, you know, it's very, they are very tradition on the December 25th. I mean, I mean, right after midnight mass, you know, we went to midnight mass every, every single mm -hmm. year together. Mm -hmm. And, Right after when he got got back home, and he will turn on a big star in front of the house. I like that. I I think that that's meaningful. So I think I've told you that I have purple lights that I put yep. up during Advent, and then I have pink lights or that I put on for the third week of Advent, and then on that's Christmas Eve I put on the white lights. Um, so that to, to show that there's a difference, but but uh, it's hard in this <laughs> day and age to to not put up. Uh, we like to put the Christmas tree up. And the nativity and decorate maybe the weekend before Christmas, so it's uh, not not the whole month. Um, yeah, I did it right yeah. after the Halloween. <laughs> yeah, but but um, and I also don't like playing Christmas music during Advent. But today we're going to play Christmas music uh, <laughs> because we've discovered. Anyway, I'll tell you a little bit in a little bit about yeah. the new singing songwriting duo that I, that I've uh, that I've met recently, and they have a new Christmas album. So we're, we are going to be listening to Christmas music. Um, but before all, all that, um, Jermaine is going to be here today, Billy. Jermaine with two That'd books, nice. and he usually has a children's book, mm -hmm. which is always fun, and then a self-help book, sort of, that uh, that he will uh, introduce us. Introduce us, 
Um, and that's in about five minutes. And then you're in, you're back with Church for Dummies in about 15 minutes. What uh, what are we going to talk about? Christmas. You know, it's always Christmas. It's it's, it's one of the seasons that I can feel like peaceful and I can feel joy. And, you know, I, I really like all kind of Christmas music. I have already like listened to it since like two weeks ago. So, okay. yeah, it will be about Christmas. Okay, so we're going to have a Christmas question with uh, Billy in Church for Dummies in about 15 minutes. And then um, I know, Billy, in the last four years, mostly we've been hearing a lot of talk about uh, Black Lives Matter and racism, uh, mm. especially in the United States. That's a, a, a huge issue here in Canada. We have the issue with indigenous peoples. Um, yes. And I think that for a lot of us as Catholics, we know that racism is bad. Mm-hmm. Is it sin? Um, what does all that mean? There, there isn't a lot. There is, the, the, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops does have teachings on racism and they put out pastoral letters. But uh, uh, Deacon... And I love it because he's a deacon. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers just published a book called Building a Civilization of Love. And it's a Catholic response to racism. Now, he is African-American um, mm-hmm. and he's a Catholic, a Roman Catholic deacon. He actually has been on this show before, uh, mm-hmm. probably about seven years ago, to talk mm-hmm. about, about what it means to be a man, um, a Catholic man. So I'm looking forward to talk uh, to talking with Deacon Harold Burke <clears throat> about his new book about racism to, to help us kind of understand a little bit about the differences between racism and prejudice. Um, mm. What are some concrete things that are racist as opposed to just having racist ideas and what the Catholic Church says, because it's all rooted in Catholic doctrine. That's very interesting. It is uh, very interesting. Uh, so that's uh, de- very like nowadays topic. Yeah, it is. Uh, mm-hmm. um, a very, very pertinent, uh, especially for our listeners in the United States. So that's Deacon Harold Burke Sivers in about 25 minutes. And then, like I said, we're going to meet a new uh, singing, songwriting, mother-son duo. Wow. Lauren wow. and Dylan Dupree. They put out a Christmas album a few years ago, and they just have a new Christmas single. So we're going to be meeting them and listening to some of their music today. So that's wow, uh, I thought Son doesn't want to sing with. I know, with I know, wow. I know, I know. <laughs> we're going to have to ask him that question. Yeah. What's it like to sing with your mother? Um, so that's uh, Lauren and Dylan Dupree at the end of the program in about forty-five minutes. And uh, a reminder, as we always do, if you're not going to be around. To listen to the whole show, just go to our website, slmedia.org, and uh, click on podcasts, and you can find easily. You can also you can also subscribe. That's probably easier to subscribe uh, yeah. wherever you get your podcast. You can you can get the Salt and Light Hour Catholic podcast everywhere. Um, so let's go, Billy. Lots lots going on in today's show. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, with a Christmas song in Advent. Apologies for people that are going to be bothered no, by this. Please. <laughs> so here is Dupree with their new single, Christmas Spirit. Christmas 
That was Dupree with their new single, Christmas Spirit. And we're going to be speaking with mother and son singing duo Lauren and Dylan Dupree at the end of the program. So stay tuned. And now it's time for Book Ends with Jermaine Bagnall, who's uh, ready for Christmas. Are you ready for Christmas yet? Or are you ready for Christmas? And I've got my, advent? yeah, well, you know, I've got my Advent candles lit and reading uh, reflections and also prepping for Christmas. So I'm in, I'm in the spirit. I'm in the mood. In the mood, in the mood. And you have uh, two books, Advent or Christmas books? Uh, one, one of them is very Christmas focused and the other one is less Christmas focused, but it's something that we could use year round. Okay. So I guess I'll start with that one. Yep. So that is, that one is called Infinite Bandwidth, Encountering Christ in the Media. It's by... Eugene Gann, who's a author and professor at Franciscan University. And the whole idea about this book is how can media be used and consumed virtuously? So it's really important, I would say, for folks like uh, yourself and myself who create media. This is a great book for parents um, because he breaks down and gives seven media keys on on how to look at things. So uh, it looks like Balance, attitude, awareness, the dignity of the human person, truth-filled, inspiring, skillfully developed, and motivated by and relevant to experience. So all of these he links back to scripture, links back to tradition, and really forces us to kind of ask questions of of, uh, using discernment to look at you know, a television show or something like that. It's like, okay, is this spreading a good message? Is this good for my kids? Is this good for me? Mm. Uh, because being Catholics, we're not just Catholic on Sundays. We're yeah. Catholic every day of the week. Uh, every time we're interacting with something, we're Catholic. So it it gives a good framework in how to mm-hmm. engage with things. And and one thing I actually really like about this book, just outside of the fact that it, it's really well written, um, there's I'm I'm all about application, love love application. Yeah. So at the end of each chapter, it gives you a couple of uh, steps on which to approach something. So you know, in the first media key, when you step one is to pray. So, you know, it's praying for the cardinal virtue of temperance, which is necessary for the practicing the key of balance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, taking that time to be reflective. Step two is research. And research is is, is a big 
thing throughout this entire work. Uh, if you want to take your kids to a new uh, a movie that just came out, research ahead of time, look at the trailer, read the uh, mm-hmm. read the reviews. So, okay, cool. Maybe you don't get the opportunity to go like first day opening weekend, but that's a chance for you to ensure that you're giving your kids virtuous um, virtuous material. Step mm-hmm. three is ask questions, and this is part of that goes in line with the uh, research. And then step four is integration and so it's like how are we integrating our faith what sort of things can we do to um yeah incorporate in our, our faith into uh consuming media into reading media to to watching media it's 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 a really good handbook um it's it's an older book it's from 2010 but i i see this being applicable to yeah, sounds very useful actually forever and like yeah. you said not just for for people creating media but for people i mean where everybody's consuming media and parents in particular need to so helping us be better critical thinkers when we're consuming media a hundred a hundred percent critical thinking with yeah. uh, our our catholic faith at the the forefront yeah. and the epicenter yeah okay and then you have a christmas book for children i do so after somebody reads infinite bandwidth and and they discern on what is makes for great media for my child to consume your next step would be the curious christmas trail by Haley stewart okay. and this is this is part of the Sister Serafina mystery series. Okay. Um, so right out of the gate, I, I got to say, I love the whole world that this book is built around. Nice. So it's it takes place in uh, St. Wolf Hilda's Abbey and School. And where and, and, and all the characters are mice. So okay. the sisters are mice, the characters are mice. And this uh, the Abbey and the school is under the floorboard of one G.K. Chesterton. Okay, it's, it's so funny. I I love I I love how they'll make reference to him and that sort of stuff. It, it's, it's so they live in Chesterton's home. Yes, like under, under the, the floorboard. Under That's the hilarious. floorboard. And, yeah. Oh, so every I, every now and then they'll make reference to him. So it's what I really appreciate about this book. Like yes, there's a the you know the, they're solving the mystery of trying to uh, find a sister sister Dimf, Dimfna who's gone gone missing. Yeah. But just how they they tie in. Uh, our Catholic teachings of really understanding it's like, you know, this is in an abbey, so children are exposed to what an abbey is. Children are exposed to religious life. And the fact that these sisters and and, and, and in turn um, uh, priests and fathers, you know, that these were people who did things beforehand. So, for example, uh, in one of the main characters of speaking to Sister Dymphna in she talks about her life before the Abbey, where she uh-huh. was an actor. She was an actress. Oh yeah, That's and funny. then and then uh, then decided that she had to answer the call. So it was, it was really interesting. And okay. So it's phrased in here the sentence: "I was called by God to God to be a nun, and no matter how loud the applause was, nothing could change that. I couldn't be truly happy until I sec- accepted the role I was meant to play here at Saint Wolf." Wolf Hill does. So it's it's just kind of teaching kids that the the vocation it, it's it, it's something that people are pulled to. And uh I, I found that really interesting. And again, this is part of a mystery. Kids are trying to f- help find actually S- Sister Dymphna who disappears and you know, they touch on she's getting older, there might be a bit of dementia. So we we need to watch out for her, but but within the overall arcing mystery, 
you get tidbits like that. Uh, you you get these uh, other great insights where the the kids want are, are part of the the nativity and they want to not be an angel, but they're like, oh, you know, I really wish I was an, an angel, and I, I really wish I was Mary instead of yeah, the angel. Yeah, you know yeah. that that yeah, main role. Typical, yeah. And you know the great wisdom, but given by uh, Sister Dimphna. Uh, to the to the kid was my point is Goldie sometimes we're in the background sometimes we're in the spotlight but what matters most is that we do the part God has asked of us with our whole heart whether mm-hmm. the role is the Queen of England or just an old nun who needs to help needs help with her Christmas mm-hmm. it all matters my dear none of us is unimportant not even the sheep and certainly not the angels that's great how beautiful is that? I love it. I love it. What a great, yeah. so I'm, I'm actually on the website here, the Pauline, Pauline uh, store.com. Mm-hmm. And there are three. Yes. I see three. So I've never heard of this. The sister yeah. Serafina mysteries. mysteries. There are yes. three books in the series by Haley Stewart. Um, and they're going to, I'm sure she's going to keep going. So I, I love book series like this for kids. Oh, it's um, fantastic. What a great, uh, what a great idea. Little mice nuns that live under the floorboard at, gk chesterton's home yeah um super cool okay so that's um a curious christmas trail uh by Haley stewart illustrated by betsy wallen um published by pauline books and media and then you mentioned earlier infinite bandwidth encountering christ in the media by eugene gan uh published by mas road publishing um lots of really good there people can still get their christmas shopping little Christmas uh, book for the children in your life. Um, good stocking stuffer and uh, and a really good book for people who are uh, consuming media, which is pretty much all of us. All of us. Thank you, Jermaine. Um, have a blessed end of the Advent season and a Merry Christmas. Thank you. And same to you. Yeah, we'll see you in the new year. Jermaine Bagnell is our book contributor and the producer of the Salt and Light production, Working in Faith. You can watch that at slmedia.org and you can follow him at Jermaine Bagnell. Hi, I'm Sophie. And I'm Andrew. And, and we, we are, are The Dwell. Dwell. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to The Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. The Salt and Light Hour podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and the show will be delivered right to your device. And now it's time for... Coach for Dummies. With Billy Chan, who is already already in the Christmas mode. Already. Third week of Advent, and you're already. But this is a good question. The, the question is a good question because it's Christmassy, but it's not really about Christmas. Yeah, it's also about Advent. Can yeah. You believe? It's also yeah. about Advent because yeah, it is. when I, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting. I'm always thinking about the first Christmas, like the first, you know, when, 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 when Jesus is born. And no, you know, now we celebrate, you know, in the shopping mall, we can see, oh, oh, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. But at that time, uh, nobody is talking about it, except right. for the wise men. Yes. They okay. knew. They knew Jesus was coming. Yes. They knew. So this it becomes very interesting. Uh, it sounds like they, they are prophets, but are they, okay, so first of all, who are the wise men? Are they prophets? And are they are they uh, the only person who expected Jesus coming to the world? And they it sounds like they also look at the sign of 
um, uh, of the world, like like you know, they they think oh, they they look at the the stars, uh, they look at different sign. It sounds like it's a little bit of creepy way. Uh, are they are they uh, superstitious? Uh, are they Catholic? Are they Christians? Who are they? Just yeah, yeah. Me. No, that's a good. So it's it's an easy question to answer because we actually don't know very much except for what's in the Gospel of Matthew. And mm -hmm. we hear that gospel uh, every year during the, the Feast of the Epiphany. And all we know is that during the time of King Herod, astrologers from the East, and astrologers can be translated differently. That's where you get the word magi, um, oh. because it comes from the Greek magus, uh, which means, uh, it kind of means astrologers, but it also it suggests that there was in Persia, Babylon, there, yeah, Persia. there was a subclass of priests that... I understand we're called magi or magus. Um, so they were, so so it kind of hints at the fact that they were maybe priestly. Um, the, so they, the idea of astrologers is because they were looking at the stars. Do they have some kind of religious or they are just scientists? We don't Can know. We don't, we okay. don't, we don't know, but it might've been both because in those days, I don't think there was a difference between science and religion. I mean, that everybody now mm -hmm. to your question about them being, they were not Jewish. We know that mm. because they came from the east, and the okay. east would have been Persia or Babylon. Um, now we also know that there would have been Jews, remnants of the Jewish exiles still in Babylon and Persia. Mm. So it's very possible. Like if you know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, yep. so Daniel would have been a Jew in Babylon, mm -hmm. and so it's possible that all these Jewish prophecies. Um, were part of the common knowledge of the people in the East. So it's not like they were not uh, aware of, of Jewish um, uh, uh, prophecies or traditions or, or culture. Um, yeah. So, But we don't know. All we know is that they came from the East. We don't know from where. We don't know how many. All we know is that they came from the East, that they were they looked at the stars, which is where the term astrologers comes from, because they followed a star. Um, they looked okay. at signs, and they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yeah. That's all we know, which is why the tra tradition says that there were three. Yeah, but, but, but we don't yeah. know if there were three. We know that there were yeah. at least two. And, uh, and it's also according to those gifts, we know that they think Jesus is king of Jews, is it? Yes, exactly. So, so, the, so nowhere, so yes. No, but nowhere in scripture does it say that they were kings. So this idea that, that we three kings of Orient are like that's but but if you look at some of the prophecies from Isaiah, for example, that Isaiah says that the kings will come from the east and they will bring, uh, you know, from Sheba will come bearing gold and frankincense. Um, Isaiah uses the word kings. I think there's a Psalm, Psalm mm -hmm. 72, that also talks, you know, like every nation on earth will adore the, and it mentions the kings of Tarshish and the isles. So I think that those, those, uh, that Psalm and, and those prophecies have sort of been uh, joined together with the gospel uh, story from Matthew, that these would have been kings, but, the, but we don't know that the, there's no evidence that they would have been kings. Um, but yes, because they brought gold, we assume yeah. that they, they knew that Jesus was of supreme importance. The mm -hmm. gold uh, represents uh, the, Christ the King. The, yep. the incense represents Christ the priest. And the myrrh was an embalming uh, spice. So that kind of hints at the fact that he's going to be sacrificed. 
this is very interesting. Uh, uh, I can I can say the, hopefully, uh, I mean those three uh, three three wise men are Catholic afterward. I mean, a, a Christian I, afterward. I think so. I think so. I mean, there are we don't know anything after you know after they go go back home on a different way. We know that they they did not return to Herod, but we don't know what happened to them. Um, tradition. And I don't know where this tradition comes from because it it might not come until about the eighth century, um, mm-hmm. that because they have names Caspar, Mel- Melchior, and Balthasar. Um, yeah, there are names, and the different Ooh, traditions uh, have different names. But yeah, Caspar, Melchior, and Bar- Balthasar. And it might have been, it might be. I don't know if it's one of the the uh, the apocryphal gospels that maybe refers to them. I'm not sure, but I know that there's a tradition that they obviously became Christian. I don't know if they died in Constantinople. There's a tradition that says that St. Helena, when she went to Jerusalem and she found the true cross, mm-hmm. she also found the relics of the wise men. And wow. she brought those relics back to Constantinople because there's a tradition that says that the relics of the wise men are at the cathedral in Cologne in Germany. Mm-hmm. So somehow they ended up there. Now we don't know if those are the real relics of the three yeah. wise men, but but that's the tradition. So somehow... I mean, there's always legends and and lore and 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 stories that that go around uh, the little that we know from the Gospels. It's just too bad that Joseph and Mary did not get contact with them afterward. You know, we do not we we do not even know. Well, maybe, and, maybe, maybe. <laughs> can I get your phone number? Maybe, but anyway. maybe. Can I get your email? Please, uh, yeah. Send, so, give me your WhatsApp. So there's also another, uh, uh, you know tradition or, or information that I got is those wise men only arrive 12 days after Jesus' birth. Is it true? We don't know. There, there's no way to know. Um, we, we, we do know, or we can assume that when they, that, that wherever they went, that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph were probably still in Bethlehem because they go to Jerusalem to see King Herod. And then mm-hmm. the King Herod calls all the the the, the priests, and they they quote the prophecy that they that the that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, and yes. then so we know that they go to the, I mean the gospel says that they go to Bethlehem, um, but uh, we don't know when or how old. I mean, I've seen there are some icons and pictures where you see the wise men coming, and Jesus looks like he's already like a year old. So, um, I, I yeah, we don't we don't know. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for all the questions. The only, I, I, I'm always thinking that those wise men has GPS at that time. I think so. I think God, <laughs> the God positioning device, GPS. Yeah, the follow the stars. Um, very good question, Billy. Thank you. Um, and if anybody knows more about the wise men, the Magi, please write to us, um, SL Media here at Saltum. Uh, I'm at email. You can email me, Pedro, at slmedia.org, where you can reach Billy on X at Bijo Chan. Or is that also your Instagram, at Bijo Chan? Yes. yes at Bijo Chan. Anyway, oh. um, Billy Chan, always asking good questions. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry a, Christmas. A blessed Bijo. end of Advent and Merry Christmas. And uh, we'll see you in the new year. See you. Coming up in our second half hour, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers on racism, and we meet the singing-songwriting mother-son duo Dupree, so stay tuned. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2, I'm Deacon Pedro. 
It's often that we hear the word racism being thrown around. Some of us have been called racist. I think we all instinctively know that racism and Christianity are not compatible. We may even agree that racism is sin, but most of us do not think of ourselves as racist. Still, most of us are not actively doing anything against racism. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers argues in his latest book, Building a Civilization of Love, that we need a Catholic response to racism. To learn more, I am now joined by Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Deacon Harold, welcome back to the Sultanite Hour. It's good to see you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So there's so much that I want to cover with you. So I'm going to just like jump right in. What would you say is the difference between racism, prejudice, and bias? Okay. Um, so, and I'm, I'm glad you're asking that because part of uh, what we're not doing in this discussion are making distinctions. Um, and it's important to make distinctions because if we don't, everything gets conflated and everything's racism. Every comment's racism. Every book right. is racism. So, so that's what I do in the book. I make distinctions. So prejudice is making a preconceived notion about someone not based on any subjective or objective knowledge or experience. Okay. All right? And uh, racism is prejudice with the added dimension. The reason why I say this, or the reason why I believe this is because I believe that my race is superior to your race. Right. So that's racism. Okay. And bias is um, you, where you favor one particular group over another. Okay. I see. So, so let, me, let me make a thing. So for example, um, a few years ago at a parish mission, someone came up to me, they found out I went to Notre Dame. They said, oh, you went to Notre Dame. What position did you play? Mm -hmm. Now, <laughs> some people would hear a statement like that and say, that's racist. That's racist. Yeah, no, yeah. it was prejudice, but not racist. Well, right. why? Because he, he looked at me, he goes, okay, a, 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 a large, uh, you know, man, plus, you know, plus Notre Dame equals football. Yeah. yeah when yeah. the fact is I never played football in my life. If you put pads on the floor, I don't know what to do with them. Um, I went on an academic scholarship. So when he found that out, he was embarrassed. Oh, oh, Deacon, sorry. You know, so, so it was prejudice. He, he based it just on right. a presupposition without any knowledge or experience. Um, yeah. If it would have been racist, he would have to have meant when he said it, the reason why I just said that is I believe that people that look like you aren't intelligent enough to get into a school of that caliber academically. And the only way someone like you can get to a school like that is, is with athletics. Yeah, I that get it. That would have been yeah, racist. I understand. I but understand. That's, not what he, that's not what he meant when he said no, it. No, no. So, so we, unless we make those distinctions, then you know we're, we're, we'll never get anywhere. We'll never move the bar forward. In helping to uh, really um, uh, defeat the 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 uh, the sin of racism, would you say that there's a distinction then with having prejudiced or racist thoughts and actually actual racist behavior, especially when we talk about sin? Sure, and, and that's what that's what uh, why a lot of people have some fear. So, for example, where did where did these prejudices and racist attitudes come from? They're not innate. In other words, not we're not born yeah. that way, which is one of the things that critical race theory says learn, we're yeah. innately racist. Yeah, and that's not true. Why? If you see little kids, and let's by anecdotally, if you see little kids playing on the playground, th three, four, five years old, they're they 
they're just kids playing. They're yeah. not, I'm not going to play with you because you're Hispanic. I mean, you don't yeah. hear that yeah. from them. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. just kids playing. But what happens over time, they look at social media, they look at movies and television and jokes from their parents and uh, all these different influences. They begin to see, you know, people as stereotyped. And they and then without any personal interaction uh, with someone of that race, you begin to believe that what you're seeing and what's being portrayed through those, through those different media are actually true. Uh-huh. And you begin to believe this. So you start to internalize those things. So if someone said, you know, I don't whenever I'm around black people, I just I just get scared. Yeah. Well, why? I mean, you're not looking at an individual person. You're looking at it just grouping everybody mm-hmm. together as a race. And where does that come from? Because you see things on television, because of the, all these different factors. Right. You to put people in, you know, put pigeonhole in, people in, in yeah, a certain in paradigm. Yeah. And, and, and that's a problem. Yeah. You mentioned uh, critical race theory, and I know it's a complicated topic, but here in Canada, it's very, it's like people are talking about it, especially in the schools. Can you give us kind of the highlight and maybe why it's problematic? Yeah. So when I wrote this section of the book, um, I wanted to be fair. I said, look, everyone's saying that critical race theory is bad. It's horrible. Um, some people are saying it's great and all this stuff. I said, you know what? I really am not 100% sure what this is. So let me get the books of the people who develop critical race theory and read from myself what they actually say it is. So I got the books by Richard Delgado, Janine Stefanik, Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw. Mm-hmm. These are the people that developed critical race theory and I read their books. And the more I read, the more I began to feel, you know, this is not really going to help us in this discussion of race. Why? For example, in their definition of race, um, race is an an intellectual kind of hypothesis, Mm. right? In their their way of thinking. So in their understanding of race, race is not about, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, this this person is... um, uh, Hispanic, this person's uh, 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 African, this person's, uh, you know, Asian. Asian. It's not about that. It's a social construct where the predominant racial group exercises dominion, authority, and control over Mm -hmm. the other groups. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for them, it's a social construct. It's not you know, not about biology. It's, yeah, it's not, not a about physical culture. Trait. Yeah, it's about. It's like, like, ah, oh, that doesn't sit right. And when you, and when you look at the evolution of how critical race theory came to be, that came from critical legal theory, which came from critical theory, which came from uh, Marxist material, um, uh, de- uh, Marxist material determinism, which comes from the Hegelian dialectic. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that, that sounds complicated, but when you trace it, basically, uh, what Marx and and uh, Eng, uh, Marx and Freud did, they took uh, the Hegelian dialectic, which says you have a thesis and antithesis, and the tension, conflict, and struggle between thesis and antithesis leads to a new synthesis. Yeah. So they did that with the with soft sciences like psychology and sociology and and, and those things. And then Marx and Engels develop um, uh, communism from that socialism. So you yeah. have the uh, you have the uh, proletariat. So you have the bourgeois. And a tension, conflict, the struggle between those two lead to a new synthesis, mm-hmm. which is socialist communism. Yeah. And so that same hermeneutic or that same interpretive understanding is the problem with critical race theory. The way they see change happening through the social construct is tension, conflict, and struggle as a way to uh, as a way to make change, affect change. Right. That's not the gospel. That's not. That's not the Catholic faith at all. No, and and that's the one thing that I should have pointed out 
um, and I appreciate this, that your book is very much rooted in, in Catholic doctrine and the gospel. Um, I think that you would agree that we should do everything we can to end racism. Absolutely. Why, why do we need a Catholic response to racism? Is that the only way to end racism? Well, here, here's the thing. The, the, Martin Luther King's response, I thought, was absolutely spot on. Uh, you think about it. At that time, in the midst of Jim Crow, in the midst of, of, of le basically legal racism mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in the stru governmental structure of the country, how was Martin Luther King, a preacher, able to break down uh, barriers between black and white and liberal conservative and 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 uh, Democrats and Republicans and all these groups to bring people together under this one cause. What was his foundation? The gospel, mm -hmm. right? So when he was killed, there was this, this uh, void, this emptiness, this chasm. And we see a lot of individuals and organizations today trying to fill that chasm and that void with, on the outside, it says, racism but uh, really is a trojan horse hmm. on the inside is a whole other agenda which has nothing to do with race but they're using this as an opportunity to push another agenda forward so the hmm. catholic response is to avoid all of that uh avoid a government response avoid a societal response and go back to the gospel of jesus christ and that begins by seeing each other the way god sees them the seeing each the image and likeness of god in every single person especially the person standing in front of us mm -hmm. and that's why we get to your title building a civilization of love which makes perfect sense deacon harold thank you so much for uh well for all the work that you do i know you're a busy guy thank you for i don't know how where you found time to write the book <laughs> sounds like you had to do a ton of research um but thank you for sharing a little bit of that with us and i hope that our listeners are going to be intrigued enough to go and get it well, thank you for having me. It's been great to be with you today. God bless. Deacon Harold Berg Sivers is an author and speaker. His latest book, Building a Civilization of Love, A Catholic Response to Racism, is published by Ignatius. Here now is Dupree with their version of O Holy Night from their album At Christmas Time. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth Long lay the world in sin and error pining Till He appeared and the soul felt its worth A thrill of now we're world rejoicing For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn Fall on your knees Oh, hear the angels' voices Oh, 
That was Dupree with Oh Holy Night from their album At Christmas Time. There are a lot of singing duos out there, and many of them are male-female singing duos. Many of those are married couples, but it is not often that the couple are mother and son. That is the case with Dupree, comprised of Mother Lauren and her son, Dylan. Recently, Dupree had the chance to perform at World Youth Day in Lisbon, Portugal. They have four albums and now a new Christmas single that we've been listening. And so to learn more, I am now joined by Lauren and Dylan Dupree. Welcome to the Sultanite Hour. It's good to meet you guys. Thank you very much for having us. Great to meet you too. So I'm going to start. I'm going to start with you, Dylan, because you're not that your mom isn't, but you're like an accomplished musician in your own right. You're you're like a super talented guitar player. You've, oh, thank you've you. been out there. You you studied music. Why why do you want to perform with your mom? <laughs> well, you know, it just kind of happened. You know, sometimes God, I believe God has a sense of humor. You know, and I believe yes. that he uses all of us, and and uh, we have different talents and different things. And I just feel like you know, singing with my mom is is the best way to represent you know, uh, his relationship with his mother. And it's just a unique way to represent Catholicism and and especially the Virgin Mary as well. Um, Just it's, it's a really special thing. And, and um, I say we're the Judds in reverse, you know, the Judds did it. They were mother daughter and similar reasons, but uh, why we write and record, it just makes us happy to do it together. And I feel like that's why um, we decided to do it. And, and Lauren, how, how is that? Do you fall into the mother role or, are you, you know, I love it because he's my son and yes, I do. Sometimes, you know, and we're, we're recording, I'm like, Dylan, have you done your laundry? Did you clean your ring yet? You know, <laughs> so it does kind of crisscross and, you know, I'm kind of momager, kind of not because he, he likes to manage as well. So we kind of, you know, go back to back to back with For that, sure. but we are so honest when we write with each other because we know each other so well, yeah, of course. If we, if we think something is lame or something yeah. doesn't sound right. And I'm like, no, we don't want that. No, I don't want that lyric. That's not, no, let's do it this way. You know, and he'll be like, mom, no, For we're sure. not going to do that. And we kind of just agree because I'm like, okay, do it. And since, yeah. you know, my son, I'm just like, oh, okay, I'll do it. You know, and it just works. Yeah. Out. I needed a, I needed a girl to harmonize with me on the first song that we ever wrote. I was, I was recording it by myself and I said, what, what do I want to do with this? And I said, mom, sing on it. And she sang on it. And then it just kind of happened. It just kind of so, happened. That's oh, oh. That's yeah. amazing. So, so Lauren, I'm I'm curious about you because your your family growing up. Did you come from a musical household? Oh yes, very musical. My dad played jazz. Um, he had a piano and an organ. He could play the organ with the left hand, the piano with the right hand. Oh, he had that's a crazy. Like a yes. So good. And my grandfather played ca- classical. He's Polish. He played Chopin um, on the organ. He, he it was always live music everywhere I went. That's and great. so, yes, it kind of just started doubling, doubling, doubling. And then Dylan got it. And I don't know, for 17 years, he's been studying guitar. But honestly, I knew right away when he was younger that he had that inflection and mm-hmm. he had that talent. He was trying to show me how to do it. And we're all left-handed, by the way. So we have to do left-handed guitars, Yes, everything. He plays drums and bass and everything too yeah we didn't start him out with a guitar yeah yeah first thing was drums i was like i want a little drummer a little little drummer boy um that's good to know i'm left-handed as well but i but I, I play right-handed 
I, I okay. do not wow. know how you play left-handed guitar and bass. Like I it's could a not little do weird it. at first. I could not uh, do it. I could not do it. You know what freaks me out is the people that flip the guitar the opposite direction and, and you got the low E string on the very yes, bottom. Yes, yes, I've very seen that. Yeah. Very interesting. So tell me a bit about the rest of the family. Are there more kids? Is Dylan the only child? Are there more He's musicians the in the child. family? We okay. did have another another um, baby that um, you know, didn't make it um through the pregnancy. Yeah. Pretty pretty far along though. And so he did does have a brother. But, brother um, in heaven yeah mm -hmm. but yes he's an only child but he's like five children so it's fine yeah he, i am keeps five me entertained yeah. busy the whole thing <laughs> so absolutely we're very animated over here yep just uh me my dad my mom that's it yeah so and and, and, dog, bam, bam. and and dylan and your dad's not a musician he's just sits back and takes photos what, what yeah but he's he's been my biggest supporter through the whole thing uh he's given me every guitar that i've ever owned he, he even gave me his guitar that he, oh, wow. he can play right-handed and left-handed guitar. Okay. He did that for a while. And then he gave up guitar for me. And he said, here's a guitar. And he bought my first guitar when I was seven. And then when I was like 13, literally gave me his electric Stratocaster that was restrung like Hendrix. So I couldn't get down to like the 22nd fret or mm -hmm. anything like that. Uh, so then, so then I just, he, we just kept, he kept buying me guitars, guitar, guitar. I want this one. I want that one. And he, he did it throughout all the years and then just gave me all the time that I needed um, and, and to put in all the effort uh, for 17 years. And then I ended up just kind of mastering the instrument and right. over time over a very long period of time and lots of work. Um, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And were you always, I guess, both question to both of you, Catholic, Catholic, you came from Catholic families. Yes. yes, baptized Catholic. All of my family's Catholic, Italian side, Polish side, half and half. Yep. Yeah, um, wow. we raised Dylan Catholic. Um, but you know, Dylan really, um, he really wanted to start being um, even more involved in church when he got in middle school. I just saw something in him. He's like, "Mom, when are we going to church?" Because sometimes we get lazy. My husband was not Catholic. Okay. And um, it took him 22 years, and then he went to RCI. And I think watching us do this ministry for so long yeah. um, saved him. Yeah. Like you know, he he can when he converted. Like we have been doing ministry at that very first church that we performed at in uh, at mass in 2013 at a contemporary mass. And my dad was like, wow, my son's up there strumming an acoustic guitar that I got him at this mm -hmm. left-handed shop in the middle of nowhere in Sarasota that only sold lefty guitars. Um, but that's a story for another day. Yeah. Um, but but it was it was really cool, like him, him watching us, and he's still watching us. And his faith yeah, is – um, he does have uh, stage four cancer as well. forgot to mention that. It's uh, Colin's all the viewers, please pray, 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 pray for our mm -hmm. family. We went through a lot, you know, a lot over yeah. here. And uh, my grandma had a stroke as well within two weeks. So we're going through a lot. Um, but honestly, it's just it just makes me want to continue this ministry even more and and just continue to make more music and keep playing guitar and and keep doing that because he's and really we, proud of us. We want to so. bring people closer to the sacraments as yeah. well, because, you know, we even have family members who are kind of drifting off and going to non-denominational churches or whatever. And, and honestly, you know, the best advice I ever got from a priest was when we're going through all this is stay close to the sacraments. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and keep going with that. And God will give you the peace. I just didn't really know if that was actually going to happen where I could just be happy through these times that are mm -hmm. so tough. I had no idea I was going to be, you know, we were going to be punched like this yeah. with all of this, these hard things. But honestly, it has been, we've been okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, we just, but I mean, it makes us want to go out and share what we have because when you have something like this and you, you know, Jesus and you're close to the sacraments, you just want to share that yep. and you want other people to have it. 
And so that's what we want to do with this ministry. And so we've, we've made a lot of pop music, country style music. People are loving it and kids are loving it. Families are loving it. And they're attracted to that. Even people who don't normally listen to, to Christian music because mm-hmm. they like the guitar as well. So we're trying to draw people in a different way. And I've heard Father Ripperger, is that his name? The exorcist priest? I believe he, so. um, he oh, said yes. this music is very, he said he's he's for it because yeah. people who normally are not going to listen, you can attract them and then the Holy Spirit can take over from there yeah. and, and great things can happen. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're just on fire with it. But, you know, getting it out there and getting support for it is difficult. It's always a challenge. Yeah, it is. So we're looking for to build a team. You know. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I don't know how to find it, but we're no. That will. And you're you're in Tampa, Florida, right? Orlando. 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 (laughs) Sorry, Orlando. Yes. So anybody in the Orlando area, you can uh, look up Dupree. Um, uh, uh, Dylan, I was going to ask you. you, I mean, you've been described as, you know, like Eddie Van Halen, which is like (laughs) super. Uh, what, a, what, a, what, I mean, that, that he's like the greatest guitar player ever. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> did you, did you, when you were growing up, did you think I want to be Eddie Van Halen? I want to be Jimi Hendrix or, or were you thinking, no, I want to just do Catholic music or Christian music. Like what, what is that? First, you know, when I first picked up the guitar from the age of seven to when I had the epiphany of, Hey mom, we should go to church in middle school. Um, I successfully learned um, how to play Cliffs of Dover by Eric Johnson, a very, very difficult song on the guitar uh, at probably 13 or something. I, I even auditioned for the Ellen DeGeneres show at one point because uh, I wanted to I did want to really be like Van Halen, like Slash and 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 Jimi Hendrix. There's so many of my influences. I can't even mention them all right here. But um, but yeah, I wanted to do that. And I felt like the guitar was just it was a therapeutic uh, instrument as well because uh, yeah. I, I have uh, I have ticks you know I blink a lot and I I don't have vocal ticks but I, I used to kind of in, in second grade but um they kind of went away and they got better but mm-hmm. when I was younger I got diagnosed with that so I, like I blink a lot and I I do all these movements so when I play guitar it tames them completely and I feel like I can let out all of my energy mm-hmm. all of my nervous energy doing that so I'm really good at impersonating I'm really good at at doing those things so I feel like that's that's kind of the reason why I started playing guitar and never gave it up it made me feel so good when I played it. And then it made me feel even better when I was playing it for a crowd and for these crowds that mm-hmm. people closer to Christ and the Catholic faith. And I was like, wow, I gotta, I gotta use this for that because I saw the response even yeah. on LFO. I saw the response of the Christian, the Christian song we played. Right. So, right. Okay. We yeah. have just a little bit of time left uh, for one more question. And since we're so close to Christmas, I wanted to ask you guys as a family, what is that one Advent or Christmas tradition that you guys, uh, that you, that that's so dear to you as a family? Oh man. Well, we just like our, our tradition where we go to mass, Yes. you know, like at, at usually six o'clock mass or something. Then we come home and I always bake ziti yes. and okay. Christmas cookies and open gifts. And, and, um, but I think, you know, as far as the, the, um, Christmas, I, I have a really nice big, um, manger and i love putting yep. that out and okay. so i made my husband dig it out of the garage the other day and um i, d- I just love like to make that the focus nice. and remember you know why we're celebrating christmas and mm-hmm. why we're opening the gifts you know it's jesus birthday so yes. that, you know and also nice. since we are in orlando we like to go to disney world oh, true. and see <laughs> the christmas trees 
around every the year. Yeah. It, it's it's a little a little unusual. I mean, I grew up in Panama, so I'm used to like oh. tropical Christmas. But going to the beach on Christmas Day is a little weird now that I've been in Canada yeah. for 35 years. Wow. Um. Anyway, guys, it's been so good meeting you. Thank you for what you're doing. Um, prayers for you and your dad, Dylan, your husband, Thank Lauren, you. um, and uh, and your mom, Lauren. And uh, and uh, I hope that you guys are are making more music so we can get you back on the show. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank That'd you for fantastic. having us. Thank you. It's been really fun. You can learn more about Dupree at their website, dupreemusic.com. And it's Dupree with two E's, D-U-P-R-E-E, dupreemusic.com. I'm going to put that on our website, slmedia.org slash podcast, so you can find it easily. Here now is Dupree with At Christmas Time from their album of the same name. Let's go light the fire, sing our favorite carols loud. It's so nice to have you here at Christmas time. The brightest Christmas house It's so nice to see the lights at Christmas time ah, It's so nice to have you here at Christmas time ah, It's so nice to have you here at Christmas time Hang the stockings, trim the tree Watch Christmas movies on TV So glad you're here with me at Christmas time I stop and check my list again Make sure that all the gifts are there With tinsel and a candy cane on top I'll bake some cookies just for you Shaped like bells and reindeer too We're listening to Dupree with the title track of their album At Christmas Time, and that will take us to the end of the program today. If you missed any part of the program or to listen to the whole show again, the best way to listen to the Sultanite Hour is on our website, slmedia.org. That's also where you can find all the Salt and Light Hour programs that we've made over the last 14 years. You can also subscribe to the Salt and Light Hour Catholic Podcast anywhere, and you can also do it, listen to it through your voice-activated devices like Alexa and Google. Thank you for being with us today. Let's continue to pray for peace in Ukraine and peace in the Holy Land. Today, let's also pray for people suffering from racism and for us to let go of our prejudices. And let's keep Lauren Dupree's husband, Dylan's dad, in our prayers and also all people struggling with cancer. May you have a blessed end to the Advent season. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Is my favorite one of all at Christmas time. Ah, it's so nice to have you here at Christmas time. Ah, 
Christmas time. At Christmas time.